Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause. Today, we're honored to have special guest Tracy Lamore. Tracy is the founder of Lamore Media and the director of the Canadian Coalition Against the Death Penalty. She's an international award-winning publicist, media expert for good, and an activist for people whose voices aren't heard. Tracy, it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, and I love the concept of the show. So tell me a little bit about your background and where things started for you and where you are now. So actually my background when I first started out in the working world was the sales and marketing and market research. I was also an activist. I was also, a, you know, I was a writer in my high school days, school paper, the local town paper about the school, all that kind of stuff. My husband had a radio show on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto, University of Toronto Radio. So I was college radio, it was activist radio. And I came on his show and we did a lot of things in those days on that show. It only lasted for a year or two. And I first learned to write a press release. You mentioned the Canadian Coalition Against Death Penalty. And that developed, I first learned to write a press release when we learned about the case of Jimmy Dennis, who was an innocent, factually innocent man, then on death row in Pennsylvania. Wasn't a high profile case. Nobody was really talking about it. A little corner of the internet paid for an ad somewhere, said he wasn't looking for a pen pal, wasn't looking for a girlfriend. He was looking for like, my husband and I were like, <laughs> can this guy be? Because he was saying he was innocent. We're like, and then, you know, kind of, we were activists, but we didn't have any work with the justice or the death penalty or anything like that. But for some reason, we thought, okay, well, I guess because we were still in the radio mode, you know, thinking about information mm-hmm. gap, something made us, you know, actually put a pen to paper, write a letter, mail it off to death row, and ask for donation. Well, he sent back 18 pages, you know, tightly written on both sides, all kinds of information, all the documentation he had in the cell. It was certainly enough to go, wait a minute, with even a layman's eyes. We were like, whoa, 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 this can't be right, can it? It certainly mm-hmm. was true. We were not lawyers, not publicists. I had no idea, no penniless, you know, marketing people with attitude, basically. <laughs> and my mom, sales and mar- I mean, like entry level, not like marketing campaigns. I mean, like yeah. sales. Hi, it's Tracy calling from, you know, like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You know, my husband learned to make a web page, basically. And I thought, okay, what, what can we do? I guess, what is it called? Press release? So I learned to write a press release and then sat there and it was the early days of the internet. So it was more open than it would have been in the 70s. You know, I could look online and find at least the news that news desk dot whatever. We sent it around the world. And back in those days, there were no wrongful conviction, you know, radio shows or podcasts or mm-hmm. really TV shows. So within America, it was really hard to get attention for somebody who was already convicted. We became the news in America. Look at these people putting the death row online. We didn't just, the Canadian Coalition Against Death Penalty developed out of that. And this was Jimmy Dennis, was the only case we advocated for in terms of we put our, our reputation on the line. This guy is innocent. We were deeply involved. We vetted everything we know. Everybody else, we just said, well, if this could happen, who knows what else could happen? So yeah. we let anybody send us their information and we'd put their best information forward. You know, we'd put, whether it was mm-hmm. case information or art or whatever, it was, we used to say we were shining a light 
on the dark areas of death row. And certainly not everybody was innocent. Not And surprisingly, not everybody claimed to be innocent. People think everybody in prison says they're innocent, but they, they would just have, you know, they would show they're human with a poem or, or whatever. So it got a lot of attention. In America, mm. we were the feisty Canadians putting death row online. <laughs> Literally what they were saying. And just to be clear, no prisoners were not on the internet. They did not have any access to the internet. They would mm-hmm. send us information. We would put it online. But, you know, we were able to uncover a lot of stuff going on behind bars that people didn't know about that were like injustices that were you know, all kinds of stuff disturbing stuff the vice Canadians putting the death penalty on, on that, that became the news in the state so which was interesting too so there from our messaging my husband and myself at 28 years old with no media experience other than a little radio show in Toronto certainly no PR experience was suddenly on the hot seat on a really controversial topic, we were trying to get them to talk about Jimmy Dennis, but they wanted to talk about just more whatever Fox News talks about or whatever, you know, get people hyped up. They don't want to talk about the innocent guy. But we thought, well, if people will, you know, we'll just go on those shows, let them ask us all the questions, we'll respond positive. Well, we can take it. We'll respond. And then people will go look at the website. And while they're looking at all that stuff, they'll also see Jimmy Dennis. And they'll see the, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So there we were on 28 years old. Again, no history in anything on MSNBC, on Court TV, on CNN, on A&E. Wow. A panel of lawyers. You know, just, nobody ever like just being like, who the heck are you guys anyway? Because we maintain well and our messaging was good. So it was 11, 12 years from perspective of the hustling part, the learning part. It was yeah. uh, 13 years after that before I thought, huh, hold on. Maybe I don't have to make 50 calls an hour for something I don't care about anymore. I could actually take some of those skills I learned, not to get paid for that work because I never would, but take some of those skills I learned in that work and monetize them by doing messaging for creatives for small businesses or whatever. Huh. Yep. And from the minute I thought that I literally started figuring out how to get some freelance work and develop that. So nine years later, now I'm my like my bio says international award-winning publicist working across industries, working across borders, VIP parties, and blah blah blah. But it all started because I literally learned to write a press release to tell the world about Jimmy Dennis, who ultimately was freed, not because of my work, it's freed in 2017. Mm-hmm. It happened because two years after we started making all this noise, a team of amazing lawyers, which this is like unicorn stuff, this does not actually happen in real life, mm-hmm. but a team of lawyers out of Washington, D.C. that for some reason from the heavens, <laughs> were looking for <laughs> of factual innocence that they could do pro bono, you know, for their law firm, for whatever. And they Mm -hmm. had already decided they were going to, so I guess when they were asking around the legal community, who should we, so many people told them Jimmy Dennis. And I guess partly because of all that, Jimmy thinks it's because of all the noise we made and all the the Mm tweets previous. So then they ended up, you know, took on his case in 2001. And in 2017, ultimately, he was finally released. So the courts ultimately agreed with us, and you know, Preston said yep. he was released, and now he's in a war. It's hilarious. So we get out, and we're publicists by the time he gets out. And he gets out, he goes right back into the studio because he was an R&B artist about to be signed when he was arrested, and they stole him for wow. 25 years. So now he's got his voice back. He's put out four songs. He's going to release another one. And now we laugh because, you know, he calls me from a cell phone, not a cell. Yeah. <laughs> and now, I'm always like, it doesn't matter how bad the day is, if he's feeling a little PTSD, if he's, we're laughing, we do a video call like this. And I'm like, listen, dude, the biggest worry, like, <laughs> even, the biggest worry we have these days is, you know, what kind of, if we can see the gray in our Zoom. He always says, never, never give up. That was his thing. And when someone who spent 25 years on death row says that, you know, we can get through ever, anything, if we can do that. With that attitude, he still Definitely. has. So he says that, never, never give up. And then I learned on Facebook somewhere this year, just in a meme, and it said, we didn't get this far to only get this far. 
So I always say yeah. that. So that story's not over till he gets his Grammy. They stole mm-hmm. his voice for 25 years. And I'll be the publicist in the court. That's my client. Yeah. yeah. People <laughs> won't even know necessarily. The CS, they, I hope they do because they need to find that out. But when you see us at the front, you won't even know the backstory. This guy was on death row and nobody was listening. Yeah. And I was just a dumbass marketing, you know, dumbass sales kid and, you know, activist who thought I could maybe do something. And when you think you can, you yeah. know, then you try and then you can do something. So it's not, I always want to end that because it's a pretty heroic story, right? But yeah. it's, it's not really <laughs> because, you know, and I want people to realize that because literally nobody does anything thinking, oh my God, I'm such a hero. This is heroic. And nothing really is because you're just going day by day. And anyway, the end of the day, why don't people start businesses? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do the other things? Why don't they help the guy on death row? Why don't they feed the hungry? Most of us just don't feel like we can do really make an impact. So what's the point? You know, you'll just watch Netflix yep. and stuff. Most people, I really believe, as a huge percentage of people, if they really believe that they could do something like help free an innocent guy or solve some other major problem they care about, feel, feed the starving children in their town or whatever it is, if they truly believe they personally could do that, if they spend, you know, 10 hours this month instead of watching three movies on Netflix, mm-hmm. I believe most people would do it, but they don't believe they can have a direct impact. So we feel, whatever, let's go back to Netflix easier. Yeah. So we yeah. would all do it if we thought we could. I'm just dumb enough to think, you know, at the time I was dumb enough to think you could do it because it was a crazy job. Like now I look back, I think, oh my God, that wasn't impossible. And it wasn't just us, it was everything and whatever. But like he said, he always knew it was going to happen, just didn't, it wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden, the right team and everybody got together and all of a sudden he had support where he wasn't alone in his cell anymore. And that made him strengthen, strengthen too. And so he could continue to write. 50 letters a day and reach out like he was doing like a project yeah. manager. So I put all that on him too. <laughs> how did you guys end up staying involved? And I started thinking about that because how do you keep a group of people involved in even a business, you know, even something for profit or something you're excited about for all those years. I was talking to Jimmy, like you and me right now. And I was like, mm-hmm. it's funny in the last podcast I was doing, we were talking about that. And I said, well, it's like Jimmy was the project manager and he got really serious. He's like, you know what? I knew what I had to do though. He's like, I didn't tell you guys everything that was happening. Like all the things he was dealing with on the day day to day all yeah. the overwhelming like, abuse in the prison like you see in a movie we didn't hear that stuff and now i feel bad that we didn't but he's like no that would have been too much for some people on the team it's like i needed to keep you guys focused yeah on bringing me home on where we were going and people would get mm-hmm. a lot of that he goes, you guys couldn't do anything about that anything you all would have tried to do would have only made it worse yeah so just to not overplay that i mean it's not like you sent a letter and got a little bit of publicity one time like this is 20 years, right? That you... We talked weekly. He had 150. For most of that time, it changed a bit later on where they instilled um, a system where you could buy him a phone card. Then he could speak a little more freely to people. But for most of that time, he had one 15-minute call a week. One wow. 15 minute call to an approved person. And it was us because his family didn't have long distance. And it'd be five minutes for the first minute and 50 cents for each additional minute or whatever. And his family also weren't equal. So he'd call us and we'd record his lullaby for the kids. Or he'd tell us, please do this, make sure you know the girls have food, make sure my mom this, make sure he was like running his family like he was running, you wow. know, trying to help, trying to be the father that he always wanted to be, in spite of what they took from him and all that stuff, right? And the court wow. they called the lawyer this. So we were like heavily involved with his family for all the time. He calls us now and he says, you know, how's my niece and nephew about our kids? So we're family, uh, no question. So, but yeah, that's a crazy journey. eh? Like just an insane story. It is. When I was researching it, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, so like maybe this is someone that you knew 
before, like that gave you this drive to do this, but no, you didn't even know them at all, right? You just like found them on some webs. It just literally was a little corner, and I don't know what's we were looking for like activisty kind of things to put on our website, interesting yep. links to share. That's what we were looking for. We weren't looking to like start any campaign then because it was we weren't didn't think in that way. We were just like activists making noise, right? We weren't just the activists, but we had so we were still thinking of ourselves as media bringing attention to the public. We saw this, mm-hmm. we're like. Oh, when is he going to speak? Huh? We didn't intend to start that. But then once he, he wrote us with that 18 pages on both sides, we had reached out to this stranger. And then we're like a beacon of hope. Hey, so we hear you're innocent on death row. And then he spends all that time writing, like all that, sending us all this documentation. So what do we do now with that, Sean? Yeah. Do yeah. we just get the letter and go, well, that was an interesting read. <laughs> and we weren't lawyers and we weren't publicists. We were activists. So we mm-hmm. knew activists. We knew how to make noise. We knew how to, you know, do stuff like that. I mean, in those days, it was like, you know, still demo in the streets. We don't do that anymore. Now I have a more effective way, right? But I mean, we yep. knew how to do stuff. Even when we were tw- in our 20s, we knew we were just mm-hmm. activists. We knew how to use words, right? We knew how to. So how the heck do we help? So all we knew how to do was to get it ended up working because all we thought is if we make enough noise, somebody will maybe somebody with money will come who can buy a lawyer or maybe a lawyer will come or somebody else who can do something we can't do will get involved because who the heck are we 28 years old my daughter is aged now in our basement in in Toronto over a border in another country even mm-hmm. with no money no I mean who the heck are we to, you know we can use words though and if other people get as upset as we do so the first thing we do i remember this so clearly we made oh my gosh and the other day i saw a documentary i think it was one of the ones rolling stone did on him or now this media there's a beautiful little 20 minute documentary and one mm-hmm. of them my heart just went because it showed a little brochure i'm like oh my god to me still had that from his cell i'm gonna cry thinking about it it was a little like little crappy little mimeograph black and white i'm literally got tears in my eyes black and white thing and it said justice for jimmy with a picture of him and inside we wrote the whole story out and whatever and we wow. said that to him one of the first things we did we kind of encapsulated what he had told us in 18 words into a brochure we made it up we sent it to him he was like oh my god because nobody had done that you need it he said yeah. it to his family and i remember like, i think it was the first time we called his dad because he said call my, my parents right and i called his dad and the first time his dad didn't know which who we were or whatever particularly he's like did you see somebody made this amazing and he was like they, the whole family was talking about this brochure because that was like seven years in and nobody had done that so when we started with that messaging and then people, other people got involved and saw because they could see it and they could, you know, so it's, it ended up working. And then ultimately lawyers, people with power, people who could do the work in the courtroom, people who could make it heard in the place that it mattered in court, not just in the court of public opinion. Ultimately, that doesn't open the doors of death row. Yeah, it's totally amazing. What motivated you then was really there's the emotional connection and just the experience that I can just feel through you. But like beyond that right there's got to be points where like it felt you're getting nowhere like you could only do so much yeah that what time when it? i really thought we were gonna lose it and like oh my god yeah. i don't know if Jimmy ever had that moment but mostly i didn't think that could ever happen that we were gonna lose even though we dealt with the death penalty by then being introduced by that we ended up meeting other prisoners and you know not mm-hmm. in person but i mean dealing with other cases seeing other people get executed who did in other states who certainly had issues in their cases, some who may have even been innocent, although we didn't know know their case as well. We didn't know their personal connection, but it was certainly like, oh my God. So mm-hmm. it was a reality 
innocent people are executed and have been executed. It was never a, a done deal that this was going to be in. In fact, we come wow. out now to, to know that it's quite obvious that people in power knew at several points they had an innocent man on death row because of the come out in about the DA and the police involved, the particular police involved in other cases that we, that we did the exact same amount of this time where there was no wow. evidence and all that. So, they, you know, it was quite obvious. But and even now, you know, they're still fighting compensation wherever they can because they don't like to admit that they made a mistake. They build careers on this kind of mistakes you know you never think about that it's pretty nuts so i guess going back even further right like this never would have happened if you didn't decide to be inspired to be an activist so what was it that inspired you in the first place to even become an activist as a kid oh you can blame john lennon for that in the 80s so i'm an 80s child not a 60s child, but I loved John Lennon when I was 10 years old, which is the year he died in 1980. And the whole, I was like an obsessed, you know, Beatles fan, like mm-hmm. completely off generation growing up. But John Lennon was, you know, if you had to have an obsessive band, whatever, when you're a kid, John Lennon is a pretty good one to pick. And so not only was he an <laughs> activist, you know, the, you know, when you actually care what now, I mean, whatever, I wouldn't care less what a musician says, it wouldn't, enjoy, but you know, mm-hmm. when you actually care about what your heroes say when you're a kid and you're internalized now, well, I picked a pretty good one because what he was saying was don't follow leaders. I don't remember the exact quote, but he basically said, and he was talking about activism. He said, if you're like what you, we're doing, you know, awesome, but don't wait for us to do something. You do something. If you have a good idea, we'll follow you, you know, like it's on all of us. And, I, and you know, all right, then. And my first thing I ever went to was a peace march, you know, John Lennon peace, direct correlation was mm-hmm. Nagasaki versus here. It, it was like a remembrance against nuclear war, but it was all, you know, and yeah, and that was my first activist stuff, you know, as a young kid, like 11, 12, directly because of John Lennon. Okay, so now going into like your career, right? I even read like the other day, the article that came out that was very sweet about you, um, they called you the woman who founded her empire. Oh my empire. god! I read that headline. I know. Isn't that too nice? I'm like, oh my god. It's awesome. I'm like, oh, but- he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the article was coming out. I had no idea what it was saying, and I certainly had no idea we'd have a headline like that. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So beyond Jimmy, right, and what you did there, and I'm sure you're still doing a lot of stuff with the coalition, right? What are some of the other ways that you've taken a stand, or maybe that you might encourage other people to take a stand? Yeah, so I think always since I'm a kid and up to now, it's not even cause related or whatever. It's nothing about any career. But I've always been about equity and fairness because, you know, when you're a kid, you know, that's just the way it is, right? It's not or the way Mm -hmm. it isn't. And you just know when you're a kid that it's not fair when it's not fair. And somehow we get out of that when we get older. For some reason, we want to start like going with our little tribe or people look like us or sound like us or are in the same job as us or the same income level as us or whatever the difference is or are the same sex or the same race or whatever, right? Basically, I'm still about fairness and equity and equality in all those areas. Like we like we learned in kindergarten, like that book says. <laughs> I definitely gravitate to, and there's still a lot of injustices in the world, my friend. So, so I have the power now of all these platforms that I didn't have as a young activist and the respect and the ear of, you know, the business world and the entrepreneur world now in different stages that weren't accessible to me when I was just a young activist i wouldn't be here i wouldn't have access to the vip parties and all that travel which was you know what's developed this pr career you know now like 2019 nine different trips with eight different clients to five countries on four continents working doing all right and then you know hard stop i still serve that kind of client base i still work across industries i haven't had a day where i didn't have way more work than i can handle that's all it all literally came because i wrote a press release about a guy on death row my dad you know your death row stuff you know so you never know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen 
right? That literally came as a direct, I mean, not a direct result, but pretty much a direct result. You know, there was like years between that, but it took me a long time to segue that. But I mean, when I think about it now, one wouldn't happen without the other. And there's a lesson in that too, for anybody on the entrepreneur side. I mean, I have literally twice, once before I was a publicist and twice as a publicist or now second as a publicist. And I'm 51 years old since the age of 28, twice now I've built myself an inter- literally a global reputation in two different fields, like on the death penalty. If you Google my name, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't find all this PR stuff. You'd find 5,000 mm-hmm. links to the death penalty, all kinds of articles. Some of those links are no longer because I guess 20 years later, some articles aren't. But, you know, millions of articles there were about us, you know, our work internationally from Der Spiegel to the National Enquirer to People Magazine to whatever. We're in like something like 28 books, 10 scholarly books, like wow. something called Globally, Global Canada, or what is it like? sovereign relations another one about you know the relation between canada and the u.s another one about the, the banality of evil slash doing good scholarly books and a whole bunch of what i call drugstore crime they never called us but you know somebody <laughs> that, you know, like a drugstore true crime book about a you know like a murder or killer or whatever a guilty person and we had a page for them or they had a poem on our page or whatever and then they so they'll mention all oh, that canadian you know so we had a huge impact again and then i you know 10 years between that and this i start building my little pr company and now i literally have a global reputation you google my name now you'll see 200 podcasts you know speaking engagements panels tv talking about entrepreneurship leadership authenticity in business how to get media attention for your business how anybody can get to the top of their industry using pr and media and now I'm literally being like called upon to speak to university students that are in their third year of public relations mm-hmm. and I'm joking thinking to myself what should I start by telling them I don't know why you're here no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm sure you're learning good things I'll hire one of you come here it's amazing if you think about it so if you think about what that means that means my message my core message which is hi i can help anybody or not just i can because i've you know broken i know all, all the tricks now not the tricks i know where to go boom 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 to do it easier than when i first figured it out right but you can basically again what i say you can build your brand i hate that language even but your personal brand you can build your thought leadership you can build your reputation on a global level i've done it twice and i didn't go to school for this look at me the crazy fat red hair girl <laughs> You know so, what I mean? So yeah. honestly, people, the only thing that keeps you, like all those people who get paid $50,000 to stand on a stage and tell you, say, which I didn't learn from a stage, but from doing it, you literally, it's all up here. Actually, let's, let's quote the Beatles instead. Let's quote John Lennon. The movement you need is on your shoulder, a line often forgotten from Hey Jude. You know, actually, I think it's yeah. Paul McCartney, Paul line, actually, because Paul was singing mm-hmm. that for John. Little Beatle history for you there. He was singing that for Julian about John's breakup with Cynthia. Hi, I have all this Beatle knowledge. <laughs> he was singing it to John Lennon. That's what it was. He was singing the song. He said, oh, I'm going to change it. It's a stupid line. The movement you need on your shoulder. I'm going to change it. And John Lennon said, no, no, no. That's brilliant. You leave that in. And so think about that. I ignored I didn't think about that as a kid. I didn't know. What it was. But think about mm-hmm. that. The movement you need is on your shoulder. It's all up here. You have the power. It's all, you know, the movement, whether it's a political movement, whether activist movement, whether it's your own movement to get off your ass and build a business or do something for hustle, for a cause, you know, it's all, you just have to, you've got everything you need right here. Definitely. So tell me a little bit more about Lamore Media and about when you started it, right? It seems like even when you started it, you started it in a really challenging time, right? 
Yeah, well, it's been through, like I started it nine years ago in terms of my part of freelance. I didn't call it Lamar Media, it was freelancing, starting with PR. Sold our house, we were waiting for our money to come in and as I sold it at a loss because things have not gone well where we were, we're like, forget it, we go back to Toronto. And so we were literally waiting for that. We were in like a rented crappy apartment. Normally we live in a house and it was the corner of a you know, barely furnished apartment because all our stuff was in storage. And I had literally my crappy old desktop, an internet connection, and that was it. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this phone thing anymore. I'm going to start. And so I got a couple of freelance jobs. That's how I started. They worked with them for years. And then finally, one of my friends was like, oh my God, no, seriously, you're going, you're kicking way above your weight. Look at you got international clients, including like Rosa Parks cousin. You got to at least make in the business. So I ended up at that point doing a general partnership, which was for five years, just which is like a sole proprietorship where it was me and my husband. My name, halfway through that, he had to leave his day job to come and help me because it was growing that much, right? Wow. Yeah. So originally, it was Lamori Media. It was, wasn't thought of it as starting a company. I was just sort of doing it. Oh, I guess Lamori PR. Oh, I guess Lamori Media. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's getting bigger and bigger. I would have to either hire or he's going to leave his company. And I would rather just have him. He helped me build everything else. So he came in yeah. and, you know. Now it's the two of us. If I ever have time to stop doing what I'm doing and start thinking about hiring, I want to be a job creator because I have no problem getting a new client. But we incorporated, yeah, yeah in the middle of 2020. And my business consultant has been nice. bugging me for years to incorporate. And finally, that five years ran out. We would have to renew or not. And she's like, okay, no, now it's incorporation time. So we send in the whatever documentation in July. We didn't get it back to October because COVID. But, you know, we got it back. We got so now we're Lamori Media Inc. Funny nice. story too. It was first it was just Tracy Lamori, the freelancer, and then it was Lamori PR and marketing. And I never did any marketing. I threw that in. Those are what that was there. Sean is a lack of confidence because I thought, oh, what if I don't get PR? What if I don't get a lot of PR? Then I mm-hmm. at least I can still do marketing, right? Never once. It was always PR, PS straight. I mean, if somebody's doing a marketing campaign and they want my other publicist and they want me to do some words for them or to advise them on, well, I mean, I can help them. You know, I know that game. Use me for the PR, the things your other people can't do. Get me, you know, in the media and stuff. That's what I do, right? So, so now it's Lamore Media. When I incorporate, I was like, get rid of even the public relations. Because I kind of think PR, number one, has bad PR. The term public relations. People think, what I don't do. I'm not a spin doctor. I'm sure I could do it, but I'm not into it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to work with politicians or giant corporations where there's a million people processing a message. Instead yeah. of I could talk to an individual person who's accountable for that message. And mm-hmm. they're not going to change it on a dime like a politician will. When I'm behind them or I'm speaking for them, I don't like that. So I like to yeah. ethical things that I can always have my, you know, behind. So as I, and also Lamori Media, I'm also a writer. I'm a, I do a lot of articles. We're content providers and my husband does video. So Lamori Media, we access media for you. We open up media for you. And we also, we're media creators as well. So Awesome. Cool. Lamori Media Inc. now. I'm all corporate. <laughs> and tell me a little bit more about what the services are you offer. And tell me a little bit more about like PR. Like I almost want to, I want to demystify it, right? Like I think a lot of people, they hear PR and they kind of like Think tense for, up, right? And kind of like... Sports stars are <laughs> actors. And I work with a lot of actors and, you know, filmmakers and, you know, artists and musicians and all that stuff. It's about 40% of my business. And the other mm-hmm. 50 is, is experts in everything. Authors, mostly entrepreneurs, about 40%. Right now I have everything from a luxury real estate agent, personal chef, a PI, a woman who owns a forensics crime investigation company, like mm-hmm. a lab. A woman who invented a really awesome hair product, a software company for education in the UK, High B&B, which is like Airbnb, but for cannabis. 
Mm-hmm. It's getting major attention in the startup world and even just got an innovation and disruptor award in England, which the award is for short-term rentals, innovation and disruption. So on an international level, and investors are taking them seriously and stuff. So all c- across the board, like just, I have one life coach, you know, who I got her, she had zero media, 26 years old, a life coach. And the first media I got her literally the day after she hired me, I got her in a good housekeeping, print good housekeeping, which is like a 150 year old magazine. Yeah. The one that's every single you know, checkout counter or every store you ever go to. And there she was in the cover, right? She had no media. Now she got that. Now for the next year, she, oh, every door as a speaker is open to her. Yeah. Everything to do with mental health inspiration. Oh, I was featured in, I was, I'm not my mental illness in, in good housekeeping. Bam. And I had one cannabis, cannabis space, one client going back four years when we're coast to coast legal in Canada. So mm-hmm. we're talking cannabis is, is big business. We're not talking a bunch of hippies and whatever. We're talking now like the doctors, <laughs> Real estate, like the big finance people left their big finance jobs and now they're running cannabis companies. The ex-police officers are running the cannabis companies. The politicians are running the can. So we're talking big bucks, right? But right before that happened, as we went to transition to that, you know, the year before legalization, it was still coming out of that stigma. A client came to me at the time and her, she was like a, a housewife and she did like reflexology with cannabis or something, a tiny little story. But we ended up saying, but it was still big those days because, oh, how, you know, suburban mom was an angle, right? Yeah. We used that angle. We got her a few interviews. You know, she did a few interviews here and there, a few there. Well, then six months later, when all the news came in, okay, cannabis is going to be legalized and all the reporters were suddenly under deadline to get an expert. Now, like, okay, who can we get to talk? Who was that one that, hey, let's go back and pull up that one that messaged us about that. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. She called me freaking out because she literally got coast to coast media. She got the CP, Canadian Press, which is our version of Associated Press. So when you do Associated Press is a story on you, you're in like 500 newspapers. So she was literally like 200 print newspapers. So let, now you Google her name, boom. And that was literally from five minutes of work that her publicist did initially after I wrote the original press release, sent it to, you know, media contact. They had a, so that that's why a small business person, it's the difference between thinking from editorial, which is what we do, and advertorial, which is what 90% of, of entrepreneurs think of. And here's yeah. a key thing to think of. There's not, you know, most entrepreneurs, 80 to 90% don't consider this, right? But mm-hmm. you have a marketing department. But think about this. There's not one major corporation in the world that doesn't have a PR slash communications department. And they're out there finding these opportunities to get quoted into whatever. So if you don't have someone finding those opportunities for you, you, you know, you're at a loss. And you work with a publicist for a month. My clients work with me for a month. They have three articles, and interviews at the end of it, a body of work that people can Google. And when they Google your name, they come, those things come up. It's third-party credibility. That's just after a beginning, you know. It's absolutely a cousin to marketing, but I think way more effective. I'm not there to sell their product. I don't really care at the end of the day about selling your book or your product. What my job has with you getting a media attention and then us finding ways to amplify that media attention we got you and get you on further stages and all that. And it's your job to sell whatever you sell. But what I'm doing is like putting the frame around it, giving you the gravitas and the credibility so that when you open your mouth, it's not just you saying it. It's all that stuff behind you. I've yeah. seen in Reader's Digest. I've seen, like now, when you Google my name, I get almost any interview I want now because like you Google my name, well, and why wouldn't you? You know, because I've got 180 other compelling podcasts where people, yeah. you know, where I'm giving good content, where I'm talking about these things. So, that, so you know what I mean? So once you build up that reputation, it gets easier mm-hmm. and easier and easier and it builds on itself. Do you think that every entrepreneur should be getting PR or is there like, certain points in time where it's the right time to get it or do you have to have like a brand or a narrative right to be able to get there 
you're already an expert. Like from my perspective, like I think when I meet people, oh, why aren't you getting media with that? Wow, you know what you're talking about. Why aren't you getting quoted? As long as you have, you know, you don't have to have a book. You don't even have to necessarily have a company. You have, to have a, a credible reason why you're an expert in something that you know yeah. you can point to, and you know, and usually you know a web page talking about it is ideal. But you don't necessarily have to. Like for example, one client just hired me. I keep talking about her in a podcast, but in actually it was high BNB in the startup phase, and they just had got half a million dollar in seed funding. They got and they're going towards their funding i'm not sure where they're at but at one point she said to me you've changed our business because now because of the media that people are seeing investors are taking us more seriously oh wow that was the words i wrote because i told media what was going on media responded oh that's a good story so they literally that's why i hadn't even thought of that i was thinking about you know getting clients and getting your current clients excited getting new clients to choose you over your competition differentiating yourself from your competition on your website seo all that kind of thing but she's those words of gold you made investors take us more seriously i thought of course think about that when you're doing your due diligence you're going to give these drop a half a million dollars a million dollars these people okay that's great you got your little deck your idea sounds peachy keen and you seem like nice people let me go, what's the person you're going to do? Let me go Google these people, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? I do that before I even like have a conference call with someone, let alone I'm dropping a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so what they find when they Google her, they find that international award. They find two startup focused, forget that it's cannabis, forget that it's travel, startup focused things, getting excited about her business thing, profiling her as a woman in business. This thing talking about that, that thing talking about that. They're like, yeah. all of a sudden they're like, oh, and that's all true, but it wasn't any, it wasn't there before being told of them other than in that person's deck. So you have an upcoming book coming out as well, right? Get Repped, Build Your Brand with Effective Public and Media Relations. Yep. And I work internationally. So if you want to get repped, you know, as long as you speak English, you can contact me. <laughs> the book also talks about, you know, when do you need a publicist? Are there things you can do without a publicist? And if you are doing these things without a publicist, what are some things you should definitely not do? What are some things you should be cautious about in your media messaging? You know, just so I give you some tips on what you can do. Uh, there's a section of the back about maybe are you thinking about PR? Like this marketing people in terms of like, would you like to be a publicist? You know, what is it? Would this be a career for you? And then talking a bit about what that is, because a lot of marketing people will be reading it too. And I often speak to marketing people about using some tools from the publicist tool belt. You know, and they're cousins, but traditionally PR comes from journalism. There's two trajectories. One is the journalism to PR and back to back and forth. And they trade, you know, you're in one job or the other at whatever time. And the other is people go to school for four years for PR to learn it as a trade. And that's mm -hmm. you know, probably the trajectory. They mostly probably go into, I feel like into corporate, you know, going into, I'm going to go work for craft now or whatever as their public communications director. You know what I mean? As opposed to like the fun part of PR, which I think, which is taken on project yeah, awesome. so because you know there's no guarantees with entrepreneurship <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely i always love to ask two questions so one if you could make everyone in the world do one thing differently after this conversation today what would it be everyone in the world so not just business oh you know what listen to each other because right now there's so much anger and everybody, you know, is so polarized and they all have something to say and they're all especially polarized right now. They just want to yell and half the time we're meeting each other. And, you know, before we even know what the other person's name is, we're looking for signs and what they're wearing or what they're holding or what, you know, if they might be you know, different than us in some way, if they might disagree with us, if we might want to throw a brick at them. And instead of doing that, I found it even in the situations where you are actually polar opposed, 
even you know situations where like I'm a person that I don't want to sit down with every person like I'm ethically opposed to some you know racism for example or whatever but you know even in a situation where you're like ethically and deeply opposed to somebody a lot of times you might be misconstrued why they're even if their behavior is unacceptable you may not really understand where it's coming from and unless you understand where it's coming from you can't deal with it because you might think oh they're just hateful and angry and maybe they're just actually really scared and once you can address whatever the fear is it's just an example right yeah. or damaged or whatever and once you can address that maybe they're not so hateful anymore so instead of just pounding someone over the head with a brick once you listen had knowledge but the other thing is too i find that if you sit down you're yelling and screaming about whatever politics the death penalty whatever it is i learned this on a death penalty thing you know, I, I was screaming and not screaming, yeah, but there's a, somebody knew me from the death penalty world came onto the Facebook in the early days of Facebook and they were messaging me in inbox going on and then blah, blah, blah. And, oh, you just love murderers and all the came, same kind of rhetoric that was in the old chat rooms in the pre, you know, whatever day. I'm like, oh my God, I remember this. But now I think <laughs> more everything about each other. It's not just like just someone's nickname and they're an anti-death penalty, they're pro, they're anti, you know, you're not in that whole tunnel anymore. So literally after like a day, I didn't, we weren't friends on Facebook, she was just messaging me about, and I find, I don't know where I got the wisdom to say this, it just came to me and I learned from this, my, the moment that this happened because I've been doing, I've been saying this ever since and honestly, think about this. She was just hating on me and I'm thinking she's a horrible, right? We just want to, in my mind, she just wants to kill them all. She must be a right wing, horrible person. In her mind, I must be some kind of criminal loving like psycho. I don't know what she <laughs> Like, but it's all about how you look at things, right? Anyway, so I finally said to her, listen, this is going nowhere. Clearly, you, I'm never going to convince you that the death penalty is wrong. I promise you right now, you're never going to convince me that it's right. We're speaking completely different languages. I go, stop. I go, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to stop talking about this. This is a stranger, right? I said, and I'm going to send you a friend request here on Facebook. And you're going to accept it. And then for the next like 10 days or two weeks or something, we're just going to leave this topic alone. If you post about the death penalty, I'm not going to come and argue about it. If I post, you're just not going to mention it. We're just not going to mention that stuff. That's it. Okay. Okay. And she's like, okay. And she agreed. So I mm -hmm. sent her a friend She agreed. I mean, we're not like best friends anymore, but we could be if we had time. Because honestly, now we realize what I say, 80% of the shit that you, you probably agree with, like no matter how opposed you are with someone, that of those things are the same. You know, we are all the same. We have the same emotions. We have the same whatever. We have the same. If we connect on those different things instead of the things that set us apart, it's a huge, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. It turned out that this lady, other than the death penalty, which I, I probably changed her opinion on that now, and she's definitely changed the way I looked at people who thought that way, you know, is everything else. It's like she's the same as me on so many things. Like almost everything that comes by my feet on her, I want to like. If, it, if we'd never talked about the death penalty, we would have thought that was like that we had every single thing in common. But yet we were like ready to kill each other over that. And that's the same about anything. So stop being so like polarized and listen to each other and try to. And I mean, I'm not saying just be friends kumbaya because I'm an activist. Things need to be addressed still. But Definitely. listen first instead of screaming and yelling. We see where we've got right now. We're just banging each other over the head and screaming and yelling. It's got to a scary place where I don't know what's going on anymore. People are actually afraid of each other now. You know, like actually afraid of each other. You know, that's a powder keg. So like it has to calm down everywhere and people just like start to relate to each other again as individuals. And then we can get to the part where we can sit down and have those conversations. Definitely. No, no, that, I think I'm just going to sit and think about that for a while. Even like little <laughs> things with like my wife where it's like, hey, you know, sometimes they're like, you get heated because you have different ideas, the same goal, the same outcome, right? So it's like, it's refreshing to think that way. 
You know, there is common ground with everyone somewhere along the way, right? And if you look for it instead of we're trained to not look for it, we're all ready to get angry. So this is another mom. So, okay, let's start with that, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, right? Like Definitely. Did you guys end up like settling your disagreement on the death penalty at all or ever opening that conversation? It's funny because we never really had any other conversation in inbox. It's pretty much all this. Well, we've been talking for years now, but not in inbox. It's just we've had lots of, you know, on the Facebook yep. and we hope you're well. And I mean, deeply involved with, you know, when she had issues with her grandkids and I, po- I posted, I was even going to inbox her. She had a GoFundMe at some point. And I was going to give her 20 bucks because there was some crazy shit going on, you know, yep. and there was some. So like it was, so we definitely, been, but you know what, now that you mentioned me, like, I'm going to inbox her and be like, you know what, I was on a podcast today talking about our story. I'm going to send it to you later. So death penalty. <laughs> yeah. So the time has come. <laughs> so where are you at on this death gonna, penalty? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But, we'll uh, do that. We'll do another episode. Definitely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I actually want to follow up on that and uh, hear how it goes. So yeah, it's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Honestly, this has been a, a huge amount of fun. I really want to dig deeper on PR. I'd love to have you back on and maybe we could follow up on your conversation. So I guess in the meantime, where can everybody go to learn more? They can find me at lamorimedia.com. LinkedIn is great, Tracy Lamori. Instagram is Tracy Lamori PR Media. Facebook is also Tracy Lamori. So if you spell my last name right, you can find me because it's pretty rare. Yep. <laughs> Awesome. And thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you. Uh, Can't wait to have you back. Me too. I'll be back for sure. Thank you.